me, Mark chapter 6, uh, verses 1 through 13, as we travel through the book of Mark. Uh, if you need a Bible, uh, there should be one under the seat in front of you. If there's not, uh, just raise your hand. Ushers will get one into your hands. It's always good just to be able to uh, follow along uh, with the scripture. Chapter 6, verse 1. Uh, then he went from there and came to his own country. And his disciples followed him. And when the Sabbath had come, he began to teach in the synagogue. And many hearing him were astonished, saying, Where did this man get these things? And what wisdom is that which has been given unto him, that such mighty works are performed by his hands? Is this not the carpenter, the son of Mary, the brother of James and Joseph and Judas and Simon, nor not his sisters here with us? And so they were offended at him. But Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor except in his own country, among his relatives, and in his own house. Uh, now he could do no mighty work there, except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them. And he marveled because of their unbelief. And then he went about the villages in a circuit teaching. And he called the twelve to himself and began to send them out two by two and gave them power over unclean spirits. And he commanded them to take nothing for the journey except a staff, no bag, no bread, no copper in their money belts, but to wear sandals and not to even put on two jackets, two tunics. And also he said to them, <clears throat> in whatever place you enter a house, stay there till you depart from that place. And whoever will not receive you nor hear you, when you depart from there, shake off the dust from your feet as a testimony against them. And assuredly, I say to you, it will be more tolerable for Sodom and Gomorrah in the day of judgment than for that city, that is a city that rejects the gospel, the truth of Christ. And so they went out and preached that people should repent. And they cast out many demons and anointed with oil many who were sick, and healed them. Lord, we want to thank you and praise you. Lord, that uh, you have sent the gospel to our address. We're thankful, Lord, for the, the work of salvation. Lord, for your redemptive power. And Lord, that very redemptive power that, Lord, uh, was experienced, Lord, in and through the disciples is, is the same power that we see working today in hearts and lives. And we're thankful, Lord, for all that you do, how good and gracious you are. And Father, I pray this morning, Lord, as we consider these things a little bit closer, that, Lord, you know our needs. Lord, you see our hearts. You know what we need to hear. And Lord, uh, that's why we come. We need direction. We need counsel. We need guidance. And Lord, uh, we thank you that you give it. You grant it. And I pray that there would be Lord, that believing faith this morning, I thank you, Lord, for the many people, Lord, who responded in first service, and Lord, we pray for that, uh, that empowerment of faith, Lord, in our lives, to trust you, Lord, to believe you, Lord, for you desire to do great things, and Lord, I pray that we would have just a holy sense of expectancy, Lord, um, relative to the things that are going on in our lives. Lord, sometimes, uh, Lord, we're going through difficult trials, but Lord, uh, 
May we have that faith and trust to look to you. Lord, as we were singing in one of our songs, Lord, you're the deliverer. Lord, you're the one who sets us free. You're the great emancipator of hearts and lives. And Lord, you know our needs here this morning. So Father, we look to you and we ask all these things in Jesus' precious name. Amen. Well, as we come to this uh, particular section here in Mark chapter 6, this will be uh, his second visit uh, there to his hometown uh, of Nazareth. Remember, over in Luke chapter 4, it tells us <clears throat> what happened when he went into the synagogue and he read from uh, Ma- excuse me, Isaiah 61. Um, and uh, there were those who were saying, Oh, what gracious words. And I imagine, too, that if any one of us were to hear directly, you know, from the lips of Jesus, how powerful it must have been. Uh, I imagine people were just, in a sense, mesmerized when they were in his live Bible studies, you know, just listening and hearing the Word of God speak the Word of God. And so uh, uh, they're saying, oh, what gracious words, you know, that he has. And then he says something that uh, no doubt had been confrontational. It had brought conviction, you know, into their lives. You know, I think that when we first come to Jesus and we first hear the Bible and that sort of thing, he knows exactly, you know, what to speak to our, you know, what to speak into our lives. But there comes a point in time where where his, you know, his word is like a sword. You know, it cuts through all the issues. Uh, It speaks to our needs. Sometimes it kind of, it kind of pokes its uh, uh, blade, you know, into our lives. Sometimes he wants to do surgery. Um, And that's exactly, I think, what was happening with these people there in his hometown in the synagogue there at Nazareth. Uh, And so we find here how quickly, you know, there's there's a a certain, I think, fickleness in human nature. Uh, And and actually, anybody can be fickle. Anybody can vacillate back and forth. It's sort of, I think, endemic to human nature and particularly, you know, for the unbeliever. Uh, But sometimes, too, as a believer, depending on our personality, uh, you know, we can vacillate back and forth. We can be fickle. Uh, we can maybe find it hard to make decisions and that sort of thing. And uh, so we find here Jesus, <clears throat> you know, speaking to them and saying things, you know, eventually that would, would cut across the grain of their life. And I think it's important that when that happens to us, that we need to hear that. We need to listen to that. Um, that's, a, that's all a part of him speaking, you know. One of the, one of the Um, charges against the Old Testament prophets is that they would always speak smooth things. Uh, Always speaking, they would always speak things, you know, that people wanted to hear. Uh, But sometimes God wants to speak hard things and difficult things, you know, into our life. And how how do we respond to that? And it's only as we simply trust him. I think uh, Job, the man Job put it like this. He said, though he may slay me, yet will I trust him. In other words, even if God were to kill me and to take me out, yet I'm going to trust him. And that, in a sense, is sublime faith. Uh, when we when we when we trust God to that kind of degree, no matter you know what what you know come what may, whatever takes place here, I'm going to see this through. I'm going to trust God, and, and that's what we see really is real faith, true faith, genuine faith, and that's the kind of faith in a sense that we see in the Bible, and that's the kind of faith also too that God is wanting to to in a sense generate within our lives and build within our lives, and so as we come here to this particular um, this particular section. Uh, chapter 6, verse 1, we find they come back, uh, he and the disciples, uh, to Nazareth. And he's speaking here, verse 2, uh, on a Sabbath, uh, like he did the first time uh, in a synagogue. And many are hearing him. Uh, and listen to what, you know, the, the, they're astonished. They're blown away. Uh, and that's, 
what happens is when you hear you know, a certain truth that resonates with you, it's like, wow. You know, and you know, the Lord has a way, the Holy Spirit has a way of just opening up uh, something that would have been maybe mundane, regular, ordinary, uh, and all of a sudden it's illuminating. And that's what he does when we come and we hear him, we listen to him, uh, you know, as we give attention to the Bible, God wonderfully speaks, you know, into our life. And he knows exactly what we need to hear. We don't always know that. Uh, sometimes when I finish a book of the Bible, I say, well, Lord, where do I go here? Where do I go from here? I, I don't always have that sense of uh, uh, concrete uh, inspiration to know exactly where to go. But I think as we pray, you know, God will direct us specifically. Um, and and I've, it's been interesting, too. Many times I've just listened to the radio in my car, uh, Christian radio, and God has just at that instant just spoken something from a Bible teaching, uh, a Bible study that's on the radio, just, you know, speaking to my particular need. So it's important as we, you know, as we, you know, come to church, um, as we open the Bible, that we have a sense of expectancy, you know, that the Lord, you know, this is his word, uh, Lord, you have something for me today, maybe we can come to the Bible sometimes, and we're depressed, you know, we're discouraged, you know, we need to hear from God, and I think, you know, as we, you know, preface our reading, or even when we come to church, you know, sometimes too, you can come to church, and you're so maybe beat up by life, you come, you sit down, it's like, I don't know what the pastor said, but I just want to go back home and have lunch, you know, kind of a thing. Uh, I know you guys never have days like that, okay? Uh, it's everybody else, but none of us have days like that. Uh, and I think sometimes we can kind of miss. We, kind of, we, we miss because we don't have that sense of, you know, just expectancy. And that's a, that's a, I, think, I think that's an element of faith, isn't it? I think that's a part of faith where we just have this sense of expectancy uh, for whatever it is that God, that next thing that he wants to do in our lives that uh, we don't want to miss that. And so they, here they are, they're marveling, and they say, where did he get these things? We've never heard it like this before, and I imagine, too, it must have been much uh, different than the, their, their rabbis. It's like, wow, where did he get these particular things? Uh, and what wisdom is this that is given to him, and that such mighty works are performed by his hands? So there's a clear recognition of two things. First of all, the wisdom of his words. And that's the thing about the Word of God. It can cut through all the, all the fluff, all the stuff that's going on in your life. It can speak right. To the, and see, that's why Jesus said, the Scripture says, my word is spirit and my word is life. See, it goes in beyond the soul or just the thinking or the emotions. And it goes in. That's why sometimes when the Word of God is spoken to a person, that it goes in to hit their spirit in such a way that there's this, this strong reaction. Yeah, I don't know if you've ever had that reaction or if you've ever been around and seen that kind of thing. I've seen it a number of times where God is speaking right into the spirit of that person. And it could be a positive reaction or it could also be a negative reaction. Because, again, God's word cuts through all the emotional stuff and all the things, the busyness of our lives, and it speaks exactly to that need that we have. So there was this wisdom of his words and also to the, wit the witness of his works. Oh, they had heard about all the miracles. And I would imagine there's probably a lot of people that were just there. Maybe, maybe I, can, we, I can witness a miracle. And there's probably another group there was thinking, well, maybe um, I can be the recipient of a miracle. You know, people come for many different reasons. Um, I can remember uh, years and years ago uh, attending a certain, quote, healing service. And it was packed. It was a full house. Um, and people were, many people were there that were sick and infirmed and had issues and were just looking to the Lord uh, for them, you know, for him to touch them in some kind of way. But the question is, you know, would the wisdom of his words 
the power of his spirit, uh, the miracles and all that he'd done, would that, would that be enough? Would that be enough? You know, many people come to Christ, you know, with, uh, you know, their reservations, with their ideas of what they want him to do. You know, there's many, you know, there's many people legitimately come to Christ and walk away. They walk away because, you know, Jesus just didn't fix their problem, uh, at least the way they wanted him to fix it. Um, maybe he didn't fix it in the time frame uh, that they, you know, that they, you know, allocated, that sort of thing. There's a lot of people that come to Jesus and, and they, they basically walk away because he doesn't, he doesn't um, perform for them the thing that they want him to perform. And you know what? Sometimes God knows that, and he wants to check us out. I've seen, I, I can remember as a, 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 a counselor, did it for many years uh, in another church, uh, family counseling, marital counseling, single uh, uh, counseling. And I, and I can remember many people would come to church with, with, with marriages that they, they fix this. Please fix this. And we'd go through a series of counseling, um, and their marriage, you know, would uh, wonderfully, uh, you know, transition and change there. But then they would go off, and you would never even see them in church. And they, they came with that on the agenda. And I think we have to be very careful that when we come to the Lord that we don't, uh, in a sense, uh, um, you know, we come, we come, we want a deal. We want him to work things out, and we want him to do it, you know, within a certain time frame. And I think that's a dangerous kind of thing because God may, he may make us wait. Um, there are certain, you know, like, for instance, uh, Paul had his thorn in the flesh. God never fixed it. Um, I think there are certain things that God may not fix, and he says, I just want to give you grace for this. Uh, I just want you to trust me, and I want to give you, you know, my grace will be sufficient for you to handle this particular trial. Um, and, uh, and, and in that process, God has a wonderful way of transforming us and changing us as we trust him going through difficult things that don't just simply change overnight because I think uh, living in this instant microwave culture uh, that we want everything fixed right away, and we think, you know, we know that God's almighty, uh, and he certainly could fix certain things if he wanted to do that. And sometimes he does. Sometimes he doesn't. Uh, and nevertheless, that we need to just you know, keep our focus uh, and, and trust him you know, in the midst of difficult things. Uh, now, if it would have concluded with verse 2, we would have said, man, what a welcome. What a welcome. They must really love this guy. His words, powerful. Man, did you hear about the miracles? And, and you know, you would think maybe... When he came to town, they'd have a giant poster up, you know, homeboy makes good. You know, he's, our, he's one of us. You know, he's ours. You know, this is Jesus. He came from Nazareth kind of a thing. So if you look at the first two verses, if it would have ended there, man, it's like, wow, what, what a homecoming. Um, they really, really loved him. But things change as we come to verse 3. <clears throat> is not this the carpenter? The son of Mary. Now, in that culture, a man was always, it was a patriarchal society. A man was always identified with his father. You know, his name was, his name was you know, Jacob, the son of blah, blah, blah. He was always identified. So here, first and foremost, this is an insult. And remember, too, it's interesting, too, that you find that <coughs> uh, people can be so critical 
Remember, 30 years ago, 30, over 30 years ago, Mary was maligned uh, basically because um, of the fact that uh, she was pregnant before her and Joseph were married. So, so in their minds, in their thinking, you know, he's legitimate. Excuse me, illegitimate. They hadn't forgotten that. That's why sometimes, you know, you look at, uh, you know, the news services. You know, particularly the politicians and what the media does. You know, they, they, they go back 30 years, 40 years to try to... You, you ever notice how unforgiving uh, human culture is? I mean, I'm so thankful for the grace of God. I mean, no matter what you do, God will forgive you. He will forgive you, and he will forget it. But I'll tell you what, people will not do that. They, if they have something on you, man, if it's from 20, 30, 40 years ago, if they've got a reason, uh, they'll try to, you know, they'll try to uh, resurrect that story to malign you in some kind of way. You see it all the time with these politicians uh, and the media on TV. But I thank God for the grace of God and the mercy of God that um, no matter what it is, you know, that we have done, there is forgiveness. Uh, there is forgiveness with the Lord, and there's cleansing. And, th- and again, we can't forget things, but God, God can, he says he can do that. He can, isn't it amazing? He can do that. He can just sovereignly say, I choose to forget that, and he forgets it. Marvelous grace. Grace to be forgiven. Grace to be, and one thing I love about the Lord, he, he is the God of the second chance, and the third, and the fourth. And he's always ready. He's the God of new beginnings. No matter what, no matter what point in our lives we meet him, that when we commit ourselves to him, that's the turning point. That's the turning point. Whatever was, whatever was behind you, you're a new creature in Christ. You're a new creation. What's he say? It's a Second Corinthians 5.17. He says, if anyone be in Christ, they're a new creation. Old things are passed away, and behold, all things become new. And the very next verse says, all things are of God. Remember that? Remember that when you came to Christ? Man, just uh, you know, all of a sudden, uh, I was talking to somebody about it uh, as I was down in Pennsylvania this week. Uh, we had uh, 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 a, uh, a little Bible school down there this week. And just, uh, you know, when you come to Christ, everything's new. Everything's fresh. Everything's alive. It seems like even colors were more intense um, because you're a new creature. God wonderfully pours his life, his spirit. And, and you know, the, the fact is, when you come to Christ, that's when your eternity begins. You know that? Because it's God's eternal spirit coming into your life. That's when your eternity begins. When you give your life, when you commit yourself to him, all of a sudden you're looking at things with a new nature, you're looking at things with a whole different perspective. And, and some of the things that you absolutely loved before, uh, now you may be separated from. You may detest those kinds of things. Maybe people before that you despised, all of a sudden, you love them. I, I can remember, uh, I, I think it's, to me, it's very, I, I, I think it's, I don't understand how people, Christians, true born-again Christians, do not like Jewish people. I, I know, I can remember growing up, there was all kinds of epithets and names for Jewish people. But when I came to Christ, it's like that just changed. It's like I didn't even have to make my mind up about it. It's like, wow, I love the Jewish people. <laughs> and, and again, that's the beauty of the, the new life, the, the, a new nature. 
and new beginning. Man. Anytime we turn to him, it becomes a turning point. New beginning. So anyway, isn't, isn't this the carpenter? As if carpenters are not important. It, it was, it was a, a backhanded slap. Isn't he the son of Mary? You know, isn't, isn't he the legitimate one? You know, there's an old saying, it's as interesting, that familiarity breeds contempt. You know what that means? The more you get to know somebody, the less you like them. And there's a certain truth to that. There's a certain truth to that. Do you ever notice that you meet somebody and you just met this person, like, I really like that person. They're so nice. And you're telling the other person who knows them so much better than you. And they say, are you talking about the same person? You know? And that's just the way human nature is, isn't it? We get to know somebody, and it's like, huh, I don't know if I like them as much as I used to like them, <laughs> kind of a thing. And it's a dangerous kind of a thing. You know, one author uh, uh, who was a, a writer, he said, he said, the further I get from home, uh, the more important I become. <laughs> and, and, and it's true. Uh, you know, the prophet, you know, the godly person doesn't have, doesn't maybe get respect and honor, you know, in his own circumstances, in his own home, in his own particular, you know, situation. I think also, too, you know, in verse 3, be careful of conversations that you get in and you begin to sense they're going downhill. Be careful. I've been in conversations, even with Christians sometimes, and, and, the, and the, the conversation is beginning to just sort of go downhill, and it's maybe a good time to just sort of pull away before you get drawn into agreeing with something you don't agree with or saying something that afterwards you may regret. Gee, you come away from it sometimes. Boy, that, you know, that, that conversation went downhill real fast. I wish I, hadn't, I wish I hadn't said what I said. Or I wish I hadn't agreed with that. And we need to be careful of those kinds of conversations. It's important. We want the Holy Spirit, you know, involved. Uh, you know, the beautiful thing is that, you know, when God's people get together, there can be just a beautiful exchange or a reciprocation, you know, mutual encouragement, you know, keeping our focus. Uh, I was with uh, um, a few pastors for lunch, and the pastor that opened up in prayer, um, it, was, it was noteworthy when, when, when he prayed. He said, Lord, um, because we were, we were going to sit down and, and talk and have lunch together. And he said, Lord, uh, would you please guide this conversation? Lord, uh, put a watch on our mouth that we would not say anything uh, that would grieve your Holy Spirit. Because it's interesting, because over in Ephesians chapter 4, when it speaks about grieving the Holy Spirit, it's all relative to communication. It's all relative to the things that we say. So our words are very important. Now, here they are in the house of God. They're in the synagogue. And even after hearing, you know, truth from the master himself, they're already running him down. <laughs> Didn't take long. Isn't the son of Mary? You know, illegitimate one. And, and in that culture, too, genealogy, man, was like everything. Uh, your, your pedigree, that, that, was, that was what it was all about. You know, if you had an important pedigree, then you were kind of, you were very important. But isn't it interesting that they're maligning him, and who has a better pedigree than him? I mean, he's been birthed by the Holy Spirit, amen? 
I mean, you can't get any better than that. But again, that's the problem sometimes when we, when we get critical. When we get critical. We begin to think in a critical kind of a way. You know, and, and before you know it, it's coming out of our mouth and we're engaging other people. You know, the Bible warns us about that, doesn't it, over in Hebrews chapter 12, about a root of bitterness, that it get, when you get involved in a conversation, uh, it becomes defiling. It defiles other people because it, whatever's in there, right, the mouth speaks out of what? The abundance of the heart. So it's very important. Um, you know, and again, here they're, they're judging God. They're judging the Messiah. You know what Paul said about that over in 1 Corinthians chapter 4? I want to read a couple of verses uh, to you. And, and the Corinthians, now remember, Paul was the one who founded the church there in Corinth. And they turned against him. They, they turned against him. Um, may, maybe after Paul left, because he was basically an itinerant kind of guy, evangelist. You know, he was, he was a church founder and, and, and a pastor as well. Uh, but God just, he was more on a missionary kind of a uh, circuit all the time. And maybe the leadership there, with maybe the leadership became a little bit uh, jealous if Paul comes back. Maybe we're out of a job or something like that. And so the leadership began to say some things about Paul that really s simply wasn't true and wasn't proper. And Paul is writing back to them to correct that. In verse 4, uh, excuse me, chapter 4, verse 3, he says, With me is a very small thing that I should be judged by you. They were judging him criticizing him or by a human court in fact he says I, I, I don't even judge myself uh, now let me let's clarify that uh, what are you saying there is he's not overly critical of himself um, you know I think we need to be careful that we don't get overly introspective I think it's something that sometimes happens to new Christians you get overly introspective now the Bible says we should examine our hearts okay that, that's an important thing, but we have to be careful. You get too overly introspective. The devil will take advantage of that because he's what? He's a condemner. He's an accuser of the brethren, okay? So Paul is basically saying here, I don't know anything against myself. Yet I'm not justified by that, but he who judges me is the Lord. Therefore, look what he says. Judge nothing before the time until the Lord comes who will both bring to light the hidden things of darkness and reveal the counsels of the hearts. Then each one will have, each one, each, and each one's praise will come from God. That's why it's important. Keep a short list with the Lord. Be a person who quickly repents and confesses. Uh, we don't, we, you don't want to have a lot of baggage when, you're, when, you, when you go to stand before the Lord. You want to have a clean slate. That's why it's important um, to, to you know, daily, at the end of the day. Um, if you need to say, Lord, forgive me for saying that, uh, forgive me for thinking that today, uh, forgive me for my reaction, whatever it is, I think it's important. Keep, keep, a, you know, keep a short account with God uh, relative to those, to those things. Um, and remember, he's our judge. Uh, if, there's something, you know, if there's something really needs to be addressed in our life, the Holy Spirit will do that. He'll, he'll do that. He'll show us. He'll speak to that particular issue. And again, when you think about here, verse 3, what are they offended at? Well, they're offended at truth. That, that's basically what they're offended at. Um, and they're offended at him personally. They're thinking maybe he's, he's, you know, he's a, some kind of a lowlife. Um, you know, he's got the wrong pedigree. And you know what that is? That's pride. That's pride. Uh, remember uh, the scripture says who God chooses. He chooses the foolish things to confound the wise. 
He chooses the weak things. He chooses the lowly, the insignificant, the base things. And what that does is it, 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 it rebukes the pride of man. You ever notice how sometimes God will use somebody, and, and you'll maybe know this person. You, you'll know them, and you'll think, wow, I do, I've learned, known the Lord longer than them. I know the Bible better than them. Why is God using them? Why is he using me? You know, kind of a thing. And I think the Lord does that sometimes just to confound them. If we got pride there, he's dealing with it. I've, I've seen that sometimes happen, you know, in, uh, in, in ministry. Some new guy comes along, and here's some other guy that's known the Lord for a long time, and all of a sudden, God's using this younger guy. He hasn't known the Lord that long. It's like, why? Just his grace, his mercy. He'll use, the Lord will use anybody. Okay, look at verse 4 here. I think, the truth, I think the truth of verse 4 has more than one meaning. Uh, a prophet is not without honor except in his own country, among his own relatives, and in his own house. Uh, you know, sometimes, too, um, a familiarity with God, a godly person, the things of God. Um, sometimes there can be a disregard. I've seen it in ministry. I've seen it sometimes happen in ministry when there's been this familiarity with God and the things of God, with the Word of God. There can be this sort of a disregard, you know, for that. Um, that's why the Bible says, know no one after the flesh. What that means is don't be careful. As you look at somebody, you judge them, and you know their past, you know their failures. And you know what happens? You can't receive from them. Do you ever notice that when you know something about somebody's background? And then they maybe start speaking in a righteous way, and you're kind of saying now the side of your mouth to somebody else, yeah, what a hypocrite they are, you know. And I think we have to be very careful. Now, most of us, when we read David, there's so much, you know, all the Psalms, the life of David, you know, what do we say? Man after God's own heart. Great, great man of faith. God used him in a powerful way. But you know also, too, for those who know, knew David, they looked at him differently. That's why there was a coup and a rebellion. You know why? He stole a man's wife, murdered her husband. Now, that's far enough away from us where we don't evaluate it that closely. We, we you know... We believe what the scripture says. God's, David's a man after you know, God's own heart. We read the Psalms. We get encouraged by them. But let me put it this way. Let, let me put it in you know, a, a, a current vernacular. Now, what about if I or another pastor left their wife and stole some other person's wife? And repented, and God forgave them. But let me tell you this, would you go and listen to that pastor? Hmm? Probably not. Probably not. And David, that's not even what the murder 
That's it, with murder out of the equation. See, it's easy for us, I think, to, to evaluate people and look at them and judge them in just a very natural way. And the Lord doesn't do that. That's why so often I've seen when somebody falls in the world, a, no, a notable person, they have notoriety, they have importance. When they fall, man, they're done. They're done. No matter what you do, there's no way of coming back. You, are, you will not be forgiven. <laughs> and aren't you thankful for the grace of God, that God welcomes us back, he forgives us, he cleanses us. And like David, he put David back into service. Wasn't wasn't done with him. Yeah, there were some real complications. There were consequences that impacted David's family for the rest of his life. But as far as he was forgiven, as far as God is concerned, he was forgiven. And that's why sometimes the toughest ministry we have is ministering to, to relatives, right? Family. Those who love us, but they know us. I can remember when I first came to Christ and went home to my family. They practically laughed at me. You? <laughs> you turned to God? Oh, my goodness, if your grandmother knew this, she'd roll in her grave. And, and even, even my wife's parents, you know, they, they took a very strong re uh, negative reaction against us because they were uh, regular participants in, in, at church every Sunday, that sort of thing. They know the Lord, but, you know, their righteousness, like many people, can be based on, you know, them going to church, you know, kind of a thing. And all of a sudden, you know, all of a sudden, we're saved, and we're telling them about a relationship with God and about the Bible, and, man, they were offended. It's like, don't even go there. Don't even go there. Don't even, you know, we know who you are, you know, type of thing. So he came to do mighty things. When the Lord shows up, he's always wanting to do something wonderful, something powerful, something gracious. But look at verse 5. He could, do, he could do no mighty work there except that he laid his hands on a few sick people and healed them. How does, it, how does someone limit, how does a person limit Almighty God? A limitless God. How do you do that? Well, I think, I think the insight here, too, is that, you know what? God doesn't force himself on anybody, does he? He doesn't do that, does he? He'll present himself, he'll present the truth, and he'll let that person walk away. And if they reject him, he'll just walk away. But, but he offers them life. And sometimes the way he does it, remember John chapter 6? Um, he's talking about the bread of life and miracle feeding people, filling thousands of people with bread. And they were there, you know, partaking of all that. But then he, in the, in the latter part of, his, uh, of that um, sermon, it says he, he began to speak to them difficult things, hard things. And he did that purposely. 
what he said was this to Jewish people, by the way, you have to eat my flesh and drink my blood. Well, it sounds kind of vampirish, doesn't it? But he said it like that purposely. And he will say things like that. He will allow those things to be spoken into our life. And they're going to challenge us in some kind of way. And the, and the challenge for them was simply this. You said something I don't agree with, I don't understand. Will I continue to follow you? <laughs> and it says, in the context of John chapter 6, many of his disciples turned and walked away. And again, what blows my mind, Jesus and saying, hey, wait a minute. Let me clarify that. That's what I would have said. Because I'm so weak. Jesus didn't say that. He let him walk away. <laughs> then he turns to the disciples, the apostles. He says, well, you also walk away. Uh, and I always, I've loved Peter's response. Because it's a response of true faith, of true belief. And somebody who has really made up their mind, they're going to follow Jesus. He says to Jesus, where else can I go? Lord, where else can I go? You ever feel like that? You, your life, you know, things are going on in your life you don't understand. You, you're maybe in a, in a deep trial. And you're asking, like, where's the Lord in this? But at the same time, too, you know that you just got to keep following. You, you got to continue to trust them, even though there's, there's great uncertainty. That, that's faith. Where else can I go, Lord? I, I've been there. I've been there. I can't go back to that. <laughs> I can't go back to Egypt. We've we got to keep following, even though sometimes when you're following the Lord, it's like, Lord, where are we going? Where are we going? And you know what the interesting thing was? He didn't tell them where he was going. He just keeps saying, follow me. <laughs> follow me. It's a trust thing. And, and we come to find out, you know, with God, he's never going to do you wrong. He's always got our better welfare in view when he calls us to follow him. And, and you know, there's no shortcuts either, is there? You just got to follow the path, you know, that he, that he, you know, blazes for us. You may not know where you're going, but you know what? You're going to get there. I guess in a sense you could say we're heading to the celestial city. <laughs> How does one limit a limitless God unbelief? It's one of the things that's said in Psalm 78, verse 41. They, they limited the Holy One of Israel through unbelief. You know, Spurgeon said it's the A1 sin. In other words, that's, that's the very foundation of all the things that people do wrong because they won't believe and trust Him. So everything springs, in a sense, you know, from that. That's why, again, it is important that we have this, again, faith. It's just simply, it's trusting Him. It's allowing him to work within our life, within our particular experience. And, and be careful, too, that we don't predicate everything upon, oh, I feel God's doing it. Because a lot of times we're so feeling-oriented 
I was teaching this at the, at the Bible school with the guys, that the Bible, you know, the Bible says certain things. It's a, it's, these things that, that it says about us, like you're more than a conqueror. You're a victor, not a victim. You're a child of God. You're, you're seated with Christ in the heavenlies. That's our standing. In other words, that's positionally, you know, that we, we, we are seen, you know, in Christ. But then there's our condition, our state. And our state may be so far from this place of victory or conquering and all that. And so often we look at that. And there's only one way that we're going to get from here to there. There's only one way that's going to be actualized. It's faith. It's trusting him. You know, the more we walk in this Christian experience, the more we sense our vulnerabilities, our weaknesses, our struggles, our lack of capacity to accomplish maybe certain things that we want to see accomplished. And the Lord just saying, you know what? Get your eyes off yourself. Get your eyes off your experience and just look to me. Just trust me. I, can, I will do in you what you cannot do in yourself. Because it's not faith in what I'm able to do, okay? <laughs> Sometimes we think that's what faith is. I'm able to pull myself by, by the bootstraps. I'm able to, to believe. No, it's just trusting him. He's the object of our faith. It's not faith in our faith. <laughs> faith in what we can do. Faith in how I feel, you know, kind of a thing. No, it's trust in him, in the person of Jesus, and what he has promised, what he said he will do. Hebrews chapter 11, uh, verses 1, it says, Now faith is the substance or the assurance of things that are hoped for. Every one of us have hopes and aspirations. Faith, faith is that assurance of the very thing that we're waiting for, that we're hoping for. And he says also, too, uh, it's the evidence of things that are not seen. There's something about faith that uh, there's a sense, if you will, of what God has promised that, that he's going to do that. You, you don't see it. It ain't there yet. It's not happening. It's like, for instance, maybe you've got a loved one, and their life's an absolute mess. And, and you're praying. And you, maybe you've been praying for them for a certain length of time. And all of a sudden, there's this confidence, this assurance that God is going to intervene in that person's life. God's going to save them. God's going to stop the hemorrhaging and right the mess that's going on in their life. Even though when you look at what's going on, it's like, wow, it's an absolute mess. And it's been that way for a long, long time. And yet maybe God has spoken to you because you've prayed about it. You're trusting the Lord. You love that person. You want God's best for them. And he has spoken right into your heart and given you an assurance. He's given you a confidence. You've been hoping for, their, for a change there. And now you have a conviction of what God is going to do. That's faith. Faith does. That, that's something that God does when we trust him, when we look to him. 
And look what it says in verse 6 of that Hebrews 11. But without faith, it's impossible to please him. Incredible, isn't it? Almighty God is pleased when, when we trust him. Sometimes we can't please ourselves. <laughs> and we try very hard, I think, to do that. Without faith, it's impossible to please him. For he or she who comes to God must believe that he is, or first of all, that's the very base, you have to believe that he exists. Amen? You just have to believe that, yes, God Almighty exists. And then <laughs> that he's a rewarder of those who go after him, of those who diligently seek him. He honors that. He honors that faith. Irrespective of what we might feel or not feel. Over the years, so many people have told me, you know, I don't want to go. I don't feel like going to church tonight. Or I don't feel like going to church today. But in my spirit, I know it's the right thing. And they come and they're bummed and they're struggling. But they come. And God meets with that, even that little flicker of faith. It's like a little candle, that little flicker of faith. I'm going to church not because I even feel like it. I don't even want to go. But I, I'm going because I know it's the right thing to do. And, and even that simple faith of like that, God honors that and blesses that. And, and, you, and you're, you're walking out of church saying, well, I am so glad I came today. There was a word for me, and, and brother so-and-so, uh, you know, w w was so encouraging today, you know, as maybe, you know, somebody prayed for me. I remember more than once, somebody came to, more than once, a couple of people over the years came to church with this incredible financial burden. And they came to church, and God took care of it. And you, you, can't even, you can't even figure that out. Because who likes to give away money? Do we have anybody here? You want to raise your hand? Okay. <laughs> Came to church with just, you know, they're, they're financially just a mess in debt. And somehow God worked it out. person comes to, work, to church without a job and they meet somebody and all of a sudden they got a job. God knows our needs. And he's just saying, you just follow me, follow me. You may not know where you're going. I think sometimes if the Lord would tell me where I was going, I wouldn't be following. <laughs> so I don't want to go there. Just like I didn't want to go back to Vietnam. But he's leading. I'm following. I know there's a blessing in it. You know, I can't figure it out. I, don't, I can't figure out at all what the circumstances may be. And like I said early on, if they keep me, then um, um, that's okay. The Lord knows. Uh, uh, he's in control of all those things. Now, we shift the gears here. Uh, we're getting, you know what? We, uh, we don't have time to finish this. Um, 
No, we really don't. I'm going to close with a word of prayer here. If you want to surrender yourself to the Lord today, I want to have you stand. Okay. All right. All right. Thank you, Lord. Father, we thank you for your work in our lives. Lord, how gracious, how kind. Lord, how faithful you are. Lord, you're faithful in spite of all of our foibles, our failures. We're thankful, Lord, we can come to you. And Lord, we, we, we not only believe you exist, that, Lord, you reward those who diligently seek after you. And Lord, I thank you for those. Lord, I thank you for this church. I thank you for your people. And I thank you especially for those who have stood up. And Lord, I pray, Father, you would meet with each one of them. You know their needs. Lord, um, you know our past, our present, our future. Lord, we thank you that, Lord, uh, you're the turning point. You're the God of, of new beginning. You're the God of breakthroughs. You can bring changes, Lord, where there, have been, there hasn't been change for a very long time. And, Lord, I pray that you would meet with each one of these that have stood according to their need, their greatest need, Lord, whatever that is. And so, Lord, we thank you. We thank you for new life. And we pray, Father, for a strengthening of, your, of faith, that gift that, Lord, you, Lord, breathe into our lives. Lord, everything that we have, dear Lord, it, it comes from you. And, Father, uh, I pray, Father, that you would go before us this day and this week. And I pray that, Father, if there's been a particular burden that's been weighing anyone down that's here this morning, Lord, by faith we give it to you. We roll it over on you. Lord, you have pretty broad and strong shoulders. You said the government of our lives would be upon you. We need that, Lord. Lord, the federal government can only do certain things. But, Lord, we thank you for the government, Lord, from on high. Lord, we thank you that you're the king. And, Lord, when you come in and take the rightful place, you're on the throne of our hearts. Lord, everything changes. It changes for the good. And so I thank you. Lord, I ask your blessing, the full blessing of Christ upon those that have stood, and even those that perhaps maybe they stood in their hearts. Lord, may you do that. Go with us this week, we pray. In Jesus' name, amen and amen.